We're coming through close to the conclusion of a sermon series in the book of Colossians, and we've entitled the series Enough. And just in that short bumper video, it's a constant reminder of when people take the gospel and you begin to add things to it, you will come up with something that is actually entirely different than the gospel that is shared in the Bible. And that we don't need all these other things added to it, and that Jesus himself is enough. And Paul, as he's written this letter to this church in Colossae, as he's written it, he is telling them the true gospel is enough. He's telling them that Jesus is enough. He's saying that Jesus is supreme. He is sufficient. He is overall. He is everything that we need. He is all-powerful. And so he builds this incredible theology as to, as to who Jesus is. And then he talks about our relationship with him, and he says that, you know, we, when we receive Christ as Savior, when we make that decision, it says that we are hid in his righteousness. And we use the illustration, just like if you took your finger and you wrapped it up, and, and it would be that I'm here, but I've got the righteousness of Christ that has surrounded me. And whenever God looks at me, he sees that righteousness of Christ. And so the, since God sees that righteousness of Christ, and we should live that righteousness of Christ out. It's what we call the resurrected life. And Paul says that we've died to our old self, we become a new self. And when you die to your old self, there's some things that you need to take off, things you need to be done with. And he talks about here that we need to get rid of sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, covetousness, anger, malice, slander, obscene talk. He talks all these things to put aside. But then he says you need to put on a new wardrobe. And we talked about you need to put on a new wardrobe of an attitude of compassion and, and the acts of kindness. And then to take the attributes of humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another and having a forgiving spirit and then bundle it all up with love. And as he put all that together, he says then you need to apply this in relationships at home and also in your relationships at work. And that's what Jacob talked about last week. And so you take that, you begin to implement it there, and he's coming to the close of this, of this lesson, of this message, and, and of this letter that he's written. And so when you get to chapter 4, there's like five concluding verses, and then from verses 7 through 18, there's a lot of greetings from all of his team. And so today, what we want to look at is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, and in looking at those verses, this is really his final instructions. These are the final words that he's given to the church at Colossae. So they've read through all of this letter, all the things that he said, and now all of a sudden he zeroes in on these five verses. And we're entitling the message today, Advancing the Gospel, because this is what he left with them. And you start with in verse 2, and let's just read verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person." Now, just in those five verses, you could really break those down and break it down into two sections. And that is speaking to God about people and then speaking to people about God. So the very first point is speaking to God about people. Now, it's interesting in which he, he comes and he's going to talk about prayer. 
and he talks about prayer and he talks about thanksgiving. That's how he opened his letter. In chapter 1, verse 3, he talks about praying and talks about thanksgiving. And so he's kept this, this um, thanksgiving emphasis all the way through. And then he comes to the very end and he challenges them to be able to advance the gospel that the first thing you need to do is you need to speak to God about people. And so underneath that, I think I'd like for you to write this, and that is to pray persistently. Pray persistently. When he says continue steadfastly in prayer, the New Testament was written in Greek. And if you look at the original language of it, continue steadfastly is one word. And the root of that word means to be strong. So he's saying be strong in prayer. Be persistent. Have perseverance. This is something habitually. It needs to just be a part of who you are. And an interesting etymology of that word is that the original idea of this word came to be used of a boat that always stands ready for use. Think about that. Now picture in your mind a boat always ready for use. So you need to get to the other side of the lake. And you're saying, how am I going to get to the other side of the lake? And all of a sudden you walk down to the pier and there's a boat. <laughs> and it's always ready for use. It's gassed up. Everything you need is in there. Uh, it's got your life jackets in there. Everything you need to get from here to there. It's just there. And you see, he says that prayer should be that same way. It should be habitual. It's persistent. It's like the boat that's always there. You need to be steadfast in your prayer life. And so as we constantly do this, the apostle Paul himself was living out what he's telling them to do. In the very first chapter, when he introduces this letter in verse 9, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So the Apostle Paul, writing from prison, and he's got his associates with him, he tells them, we have not ceased to pray for you. We pray for you all the time. So it's only natural that in his closing remarks, he would say, you need to speak to God about people. You need to be praying persistently. But then he added to this. And he said, when you do this, you need to do it, first of all, with an alert mind. With an alert mind. It says here, watchful. Some of your translations have alert Alert or watchful, it means to be more observant. Be observant. You need to have an alert mind. Now, I did a little bit of study to find out where that word, alert, watchful, was used in Scripture. And there are a couple of places that just drives it home and helps us to understand what it means to have an alert mind. Number one is to be alert to temptation. Be alert to temptation. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. It's that same word. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So as you're going to be praying for others, you need to keep your eyes open. You need to keep watch. You don't need to be blindsided by temptation. It's the same phrase that Jesus used when he was praying in the garden right before his arrest, and he looked at his disciples and he says, watch and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. You need to be watchful, you need to pray so you don't enter into temptation. The opposite of being alert is spiritual drowsiness. And whenever we kind of get spiritual drowsiness, we open ourselves up to temptation. And so Paul's challenge to these people are, listen, to the church at Colossae, you need to pray persistently, but when you do, you gotta have an alert mind. You've got to be alert to temptation. And second of all, you need to be aware of the second coming. You need to be aware of the second coming. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he talks about the second coming. And in verse 6, he says this. So be on your guard. 
not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. He says the second coming is imminent. It's going to happen. And when it does, and, and before it does, you need to be alert. You need to be aware. So as I'm praying for others, I need to be aware constantly of the second coming. You say, well, why, why would I need to be aware of the second coming? Well, one thing it does, it kind of reminds me that time could be short. And I need to be praying for others and praying for their lives they can come to know Christ as Savior. The other thing is, is when I'm aware of the second coming, if I knew that Jesus could come at any time, I want to be living for him when he comes. So that's going to challenge me to live for him. And the other thing is, is that if I know that he is coming, it's a great reminder that even though our world looks like it's spinning out of control, God is in control. And knowing that his son is coming back, it's just a reminder that he is in control. But then the last thing about being alert is that you're in tune with the times. And I know many of you are disappointed that it doesn't start with an A. We got alert, we got aware, and you're shocked. In fact, you'd already put in your notes, A, but it's not there. All right? In tune with the times. I just like the phrase. If you're to be alert, if you're going to be someone who's praying for people, you need to know what's going on. You need to be in tune with the times. You need to keep up with what's going on in politics and what's going on in government. We need to keep up with what's going on worldwide with persecution of Christians. And if I am aware of what's going on in this world, it makes my prayers more personal and more powerful because I'm informed. And, you know, the more you hear about what's happening, especially from persecution of believers, when you hear about that, you're informed of that, you're in tune with the times, it then promotes your praying even more. So we need to pray persistently with an alert mind and then with a thankful heart. He says right here, watchful with all with thanksgiving. Again, all throughout this book, he talks about how we need to have a, a thankful heart. And when you have a thankful heart, it means that you understand all the great things that God has done and you're anticipating the fulfillment of his promises in the future. And I'm thankful for the God that we serve. I can look back over my blessings and be thankful for that. And I can be thankful that not only has he been faithful today, he'll be faithful tomorrow and he'll be faithful in the future. And even when you're in the midst of obstacles and difficulties, you recognize that God is able to work in that and I can be thankful. Because one of the things that can derail your prayer life is when you're going through tough times, you just don't want to pray. But if you have this thankful heart, then you know that you can come to God and say, God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know how I'm going to deal with it, but I know that you're over all things. I look back over how you've blessed me in the past. I look at your promises in the future. And so I'm coming to you, and it brings a zest to your prayer life with thanksgiving. And don't you like people that are thankful? No matter what the situation is, that they can find something to be thankful about. There's a guy I've grown to really like who's on our North American Mission Board, uh, trustee board, uh, and um, his name is Andy Addis, and uh, he pastors rural churches in the Midwest. And, and he, told, he told the story about he was speaking at a church uh, there in a, in a small town, and, and they recognized the oldest woman in the church and the oldest woman in the town. And, uh, and so the pastor says, Miss Maxine, you are 103 years old today. Tell me, what's the best thing about being 103? And she didn't hesitate. She said, no peer pressure. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> what a great response. <laughs> hey, I got no peer pressure. I'm 103 on uh, there. 
A thankful heart, okay? So while we're praying, we are to be praying persistently with alert minds, thankful hearts. Second of all, pray for an open door for the gospel. Pray for open doors for the gospel. Now, what is so neat about to me in this passage is that he's writing and telling them, these are things you need to know, need to know, need to know. And then he says, hey, personally, verse 3. And at the same time, while you got your prayer list, will you pray also for us? He's in prison. And he says that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Now, see, in today's society, we would say, oh, Paul has asked us to pray that the door of the prison would be open so he could get out. He didn't ask for that. He wasn't praying for release. He was just praying for strength. And he says, listen, I'm here in prison, and what I'm asking you to do is pray that there would be an open door for the word. An open door for the word. Not for my comfort, not for my convenience, but for the word. Give us an opportunity to be able to share. He says, you know, I'm, I'm in an odd situation. He says, I'm under a house arrest here in Rome. And Rome is where Paul always wanted to get to. He didn't really think he wanted to be in prison there, but he always wanted to get there. It was the center of the whole empire. And if I could just get to Rome, that's the place to be. And so now he is in prison. But he says, you know, in this house arrest, there are people that come in and out of my house, and I'm praying that you'll give me that door of opportunity to share with them. One day, they're going to take me before a tribunal, and they're going to try me. I pray you give me an open door for the word. But look how he described it. He says, an open door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. To declare the mystery of Christ. Now, if you turn in your Bibles back one page to chapter 1, verse 27, he explains what this is. In verse 26, he says, the mystery was hidden for ages and generations, but it's now revealed to his saints. And to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's the mystery, is that salvation is for all. It's for Jews and for Gentiles. He says, the mystery is also this, it is Christ in you. Which it means that the indwelling presence of Christ, that whenever you come to a point that you recognize that your sins have caused a separation from a holy God. And because of, of, of the things that we have done that are against him and against his character and against his nature has caused this separation. And to know that if we died in that separation, we would spend eternity away from him. Eternity. He says, but here's the good news, this mystery is that Christ has come. He's died on the cross. He took all of our sins on him. He paid that penalty that you and I, that we should have paid. But he paid that penalty. And then three days later, he was raised from the dead. And when he did that, he showed that he conquered sin, he conquered death, and he's given us a life that we can live for him. And he's done all of this. And when you accept that, then his spirit comes to live within you. You know, Gretchen, the young lady that we baptized there, when she was sitting there uh, on a sofa and, and the babysitter, uh, who was a believer, shared Christ and she made a decision. At that moment, when she prayed and asked Jesus to come into her heart, the indwelling presence of Christ came within her heart. 
He said, that is what happens to us, is that we receive that. And then he says, and it's the hope of glory. And so with that indwelling of Christ, we have this resurrected life, which affords us this confidence to share in the fullness of glory. And we can step out to the world and be confident in sharing this good news. And he says, I want that open door. So listen, while you're putting your prayer list down, will you also pray for me and pray that I will have an open door? Now, I love this one. The third one is pray for clear proclamation. Pray not only that you get an open door, but pray for clear proclamation. In verse four, he says, this is what I want you to pray, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That I may make it clear for how I ought to speak. He prayed that you give him a clarity in sharing the gospel message so that others can understand this. Now, the reason I like this so much, now, now Paul has been a Christian maybe close to 30 years, okay? He's traveled all over the place. He's the best-known missionary. Every year he gets Missionary of Year Award uh, on there. And uh, he's been beaten more than anybody else. Uh, he's been in prison more than anybody else. He has shared to the uneducated and he shared to the intelligentsia. He has talked to all different walks of life of people and has shared the gospel. He had a face-to-face -face encounter with the Son of God on the road of Damascus. Whoa, that's pretty powerful. And I mean, all that he has experienced and God is, is working through him to write half of the New Testament. And he's praying to a young group of believers in a church in Colossae and said, hey, this is, let me tell you what I need you to help me with. Pray that when I share, I'm clear in how I share that message. This is a word of encouragement for all of us. Because you see, all of us will sit there and we get nervous when we get ready to talk things about the gospel. We get nervous thinking, oh no, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to share. I wish I was like Paul. You know what Paul said? Man, I need help. Even he, even he, in all the places that he had shared, said, will you pray that I'll be clear in how I present the gospel? Folks, that should be a great word of encouragement. Because there was no question he was going to do it. He says, give me the open door and pray that I'll be clear. He didn't say, hey, pray that I'll get all the facts and figures together and then maybe I'll get that door. He says, no, give me the door first and then when I go, I just pray, God, that you'll make it clear what I share. Hey, we look for those open doors and then just share. We share our experience. We share what we know from God's word. And then we tell others about who Jesus is. And knowing that even Paul himself says, hey, let's pray that it'll be a clear presentation. And this is a great reminder for us as we have people who are getting ready to, to interact with someone to pray that prayer for them. Lord, make it clear as they share the gospel with others on there. And when he prayed, he said that they may open a door for us to the world. We as believers and as a church, we are not asked to open heavy doors, but we are asked to walk through the doors that God has opened. We as believers and as a church are not asked to open heavy doors. We are asked to walk through the doors that are open. And as a church, we pray, God, give us open doors that we can walk through. And when God provides an open door, then the ball's in our court whether we walk through that or not. It's church-wide and it's individual-wide. When God opens that door, do you walk through that? Over five years ago, I got burdened 
about uh, the number of uh, languages that had no translation of Scripture, that, that there's no way that they can read the riches of God's Word like we can because they don't have it in His language. The projection we had back then was that there were 2,000 uh, languages that needed a Bible translation, and it represented 340 million people. So 300, 340 million people around the world have no access to the gospel because it is not in their language. So we began to pray about this and seek this. And then all of a sudden we got an opportunity through the International Mission Board to work with a new startup translation process for Nepal. And we as a church made a commitment to do a nine-year commitment of $50,000 a year uh, every year to give towards them to make this project happen. And we started from the ground floor where they had to put together dictionaries uh, to put into people's language. They had to train translators. They had to have translators go and sit down in the coffee shops of that day and listen to the people tell stories so they could understand the idioms, so they could best uh, be able to take and translate that language so they would know what this word meant or that word meant and stay away from that one and let's go with this one. And so all of this groundwork where you don't see anything, I mean, you're not, you're not getting any, any product out of that, you're just setting the foundation. And they did this year after year in the first few years, getting everything ready. And then all of a sudden, they set their goal that at the end of five years, so they wanted to translate the book of Luke. They wanted to translate the book of Luke. Well, Jeremy and, uh, and a group went over to Nepal on a trip uh, this past fall and had told me that they finished uh, the book of Luke. And so I asked him, I said, well, could you bring me some back? And so what we have here is we have, these are five different languages uh, in Nepal, Himalayan languages, that are the book of Luke. And it represents an opportunity for 1,070,000 people to be able to read the gospel of Luke that have never before in all creation been able to read the Bible. Is that an amen? Is that good news? You can see this. Let me just read some of this uh, from you. Uh, you know, I... There was like six languages, and I mastered one, but not these five. And I hated that, that they didn't have that one done. But these are the five we're working with. And now they're in the middle of doing the book of Genesis. And then after they do the book of Genesis, they're going to do the book of Acts. And after the book of Acts, they're going to do the book of Mark. And we're continuing working with them on there. But is that not exciting or what? But you see, what happened is, is that God gave us an open door. And you got to be able to try to walk through that door. We were con convicted about the darkness in the cities of our, um, uh, of our nation. And so back in 2002, we chose New York City because it was the largest city, and we said, why don't we get involved with that? And what we've done as a church is we've just embraced that city. And then over the last 15 years, we have been involved with assisting uh, 10 different church planners in different boroughs all around uh, New York City. You see, God opened some doors, and, and we walked through those. We walked through it as a church, and many individuals here has walked through those same doors in supporting these church planters by going out there and, and visiting with them and praying with them and prayer walking with them. That's been an exciting journey. But you know what also came up on our radar is human trafficking. 27 million people are in modern slavery today. Nearly half are children under the age of 18. Can't even imagine it. 
800,000 people are trafficked across international borders every year. 80% are women and children, and the vast majority are trafficked into the commercial sex industry. So you look at something like that and you say, well, how can one church impact that enormous problem? Well, we chose to just do it one life at a time. And God opened the door for us to work with Freeset in India. God opened the door for us to do some work in Thailand. And most recently, God has opened the door for us to be in Moldova, to partner with individual and agencies, to be the one that rescues these innocent lives. And then we got convicted about what about right here in Birmingham when we found out there was a huge need here with Wellhouse Ministry. And so a lot of us have been involved, of our church have been involved in that. So we pray for open doors for this church and we pray for our church planners and we pray for our missionaries here and abroad. That's what Paul is asking, pray for an open door. And so when we want to speak to God about people, we are to pray persistently. We're to have alert minds and thankful hearts. And then when we pray about that, we also pray that God would provide some open doors and that when God provides those open doors, that we would have a clear proclamation of the scripture. So these are all the things that we've been praying about. Now all of a sudden we get to the action part of speaking to people about God, speaking to people about God. And in verses five and six, he says, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Consider yourselves wisely towards outsiders. So let me talk to you about speaking to people about God. First thing I need to do is to tell you what does outsiders mean. It doesn't mean Yankees and Methodists, okay? Uh, it means people that are not believers. Where are you, Michael? I always love to do my Yankee thing. Thank you, Michael. Yes. Um, when he says for outsiders, he's saying those that are outside the church, those that are not believers. They live in a pagan society. And he says, you need to conduct yourself wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. So he now is closing out his section by saying, you need to speak to people about God. So how do you best speak to people about God? Real easy. Number one, be wise. Be wise. Conduct yourself wisely toward outsiders. You need to be wise in the way that you act towards non-Christians. Because Christians' behavior toward unbelievers should be above reproach. Conduct your life that it will attract, impress, and convict the non-Christians around you. He says you need to be wise. Live according to godly standards. F.F. F. Bruce, in one of the commentaries I read, said this, the reputation of the gospel is bound up with the behavior of those who claim to have experienced its saving power. Leave that up for a moment, take a look at that. The reputation of the gospel, the reputation of the gospel is bound with the behavior of those who claim to have experienced its saving power. Now, if you keep that up there for a moment, just think about that. What is the reputation of the gospel? What's the reputation of the gospel in your workplace, in your school? What is the reputation of the gospel? With those that you rub shoulders with, it will be bound up with the behavior of those who claim to have experienced its saving power. And when we unpackage the gospel and we talk about this resurrected life, this incredible saving power that, that comes through Christ, but yet our life is no different than the others who don't have this, then why in the world would they accept what you're saying? So he says, listen, you're gonna speak to the people about God. You know what you need to do? You need to be wise. And when you live wisely following God's command, you show others Christ in your daily life. 
And when you do this, man, you're, you're ready to seize those opportunities to share with them. So he says, be wise. Number two is be ready. And be ready says this, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. Make the most of your time to win unsaved people to the Lord. Opportunities come and go, and some will never circle back around. He says, so you need to always be ready. You need to be wise, and you need to be ready. Now, we're going to cover this at the very end, but being wise and being ready also means that, um, that you need to know some right times to share with people. There's some times where when you just meet someone, you don't throw in a gospel presentation because maybe they're just not ready. There's not a trust level they've built with you. So maybe it's the time where you build some relationships, and after you've built some relationships, then those opportunities come where you can share. And you can err on one way or the other. You can sit there and hit somebody over the head with the gospel every time you meet them, and it's going to turn some folks off. And then on others, you say, well, I'm building that relationship. Well, it's been about 10 years, and uh, you think you've gotten to the point yet to where you can share. No, it's just not quite there. No, there's a great balance there, okay? And that's why he says be wise, be wise, and be ready. And when he says be ready, he says you make use of every opportunity because uh, sometimes they won't pass that way again. And so you need to be sharing. And number three is be gracious. Be gracious. It says on here, he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Let it always be gracious, seasoned with salt. So it's interesting, he's talking not just about the content of the words, but also the method or the way that we talk. Your Christian conversation is to be marked with graciousness, pleasantness, it's attractive, it's pure, and it's wholesome. Well, that leaves a lot of us out. <laughs> no. We just sometimes, we stray away from that. And when we look at that and say, is my conversation wholesome? Is it gracious? Is it pleasant? Is there purity to it? He is saying, this is the way your talk needs to be. And the reason it needs to be that way is because then when you have the opportunity to interact with someone to tell them about the gospel, you're already there. And you're not going to get in arguments. You're not getting fights over, over arguing things about the gospel with them. You're going to be able to share with them in love God's word. And as Christians, he says that you're to season it with salt, okay? Whenever you have something and you put salt on it, what does salt do when somebody puts something, a, a plate of food in front of you, and why do you put salt on that? Somebody tell me. It adds flavor, right? Okay? It adds flavor. Someone said, my mom's not a good cook. But that's not it. That is not it. You just put a little salt on there and it adds flavor. And so when it says that, our, our, that we're to be seasoned with salt, it means our conversation should add some flavor. I mean, it should, it should be fun. It should be good. It should be, it should be zestful to when you're talking to Christians, that we should add some flavor. Someone made the statement, if you're the salt of the earth, you should be expected to have some savor in your language. There should be some kindness. There's some excitement. There's some interest there. And so he says, be gracious in your speech. And then he closes it out by, by saying, be prepared. He says, you need to be prepared. And at the end of verse 6, he says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So you may know how you ought to answer each person. How do you answer the objections when somebody asks you some questions about the Christian faith? Now, I understand that you may not have all the answers. And it's... And it's perfectly good to say, you know, that's a great question. 
I need to look into that and I'll get back with you. But after a while, through studying of Scripture, you should be able to talk to someone and then when they ask some questions, to be able to give them a good, sound, biblical answer. And that's what he's saying here. I want you to be able to speak about God to people. And when you speak about God to people, it says you need to be prepared. All right? You need to be gracious in your speech, but you need to be prepared. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says it this way. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. This calls for graciousness and sensitivity to the person and the situation. Now, when I think about this and think about Speaking to others, I think about what we have uh, coming up uh, in, in about another week and a half. We have the movie that, that we've put together as a church out for delivery. And we've, as we put this movie together, the purpose is for it to be a conversation starter. For you to be able to sit down and be watching it with someone either in your home or maybe just they said, hey, I'm going to watch it. And afterwards, hey, let's talk about it the next day or let's talk about it at work or ask them, hey, did you see that? What were some of your thoughts? And begin to talk about it. And as you've got your sensitivity in your spirit and a graciousness of your spirit, and at the same time, you're ready and prepared to share the gospel, you begin to get in these conversations. That's what Paul is saying. He says you need to be ready. You need to be gracious. You need to be prepared. And then be wise in how you do this. And so this is, this is why we use this tool. This is why we offer this tool to us as a congregation. Because we'll, oftentimes we'll say, I'd like to talk about spiritual things, but I just don't know how to get into that conversation. And by even seeing a movie like this, and just a, a Christmas movie, 30-minute movie, and then talk about some of the, the truths in there, some of the questions that are brought up, and then even could send them to the website and, and get some uh, facts and figures there or hear a gospel presentation. There's so many ways that you can use that. And it's speaking to people about God. So for us today, think about Jesus is enough. He's enough. He's supreme. He is sufficient. And the gospel is true. And the gospel is enough. And so what we need to do is let's move forward and let's advance the gospel. Let's speak to God about people. Let's pray persistently. And as we're praying persistently, let's be alert in our minds. Let's kind of wrap our arms around it in, in thanksgiving. And let's pray. But then as we speak to God about people, then let's turn around and let's speak to people about God. And let's be wise and we want to be ready, want to be prepared, want to be gracious. But let's do that. And especially in this Christmas season, with all the, the, the tools that are out there, the hooks that are out there to begin gospel conversations and let's go out and let people know truly that Jesus is enough. And let's advance the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you give us the opportunity to be um, your servants to go and to advance your gospel. Lord, I thank you for the truth of the gospel. And I thank you that Jesus is enough. And that, and that when we make that decision to receive you and you indwell us with your presence, you then give us everything that we need to live this resurrected life. May we take the, the urging of Paul 
and, uh, and to kind of turn up a notch in our prayer life, to turn up a notch of being able to speak to other people uh, about you. And I pray, especially during this Christmas season, that you will give us the opportunity to engage in gospel conversations with others. And that in the midst of that, others will come to know you as Savior and that their life will be transformed for eternity. Pray that you'll use us for that. And Lord, I want to pray too that there's anyone that's here in this congregation or watching on live stream that has never made that decision in their life, that today would be that day, that today they would cross over that line of faith and they would receive Christ as Savior and they would make that decision and begin to start this incredible resurrected life that you have provided for us. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.